Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 111 of Because WCW. My name is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, and I am joined, as ever, by my co-host, the DAZN sports journalist, Liam Happ. It's been a while, Liam. Yeah, I love how you say, as ever, there. Like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, who are you? What, what is this thing that's recording from? What are these squiggly lines? Is it... What, 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 is this a polygraph test? I refuse to participate. Where have you been? What's happened? Oh dear, maybe we could, we could clickbait it, couldn't we? You know, you, you won't believe the real reason why because WCW haven't recorded for seven months. Oh mate, that'll get our numbers up in a heartbeat. Dean Ash shoots hard on the reason behind his seven month absence. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, the uh, backstage heat between Dean Ace and Liam Hat revealed as because WCW reunite. Now you got to take some advice from someone who does this as a profession, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, you put you put backstage capital letters heat between right. Dean and Liam question mark question mark question mark, and then when people click through, it says there is no heat. <laughs> But you you, are, you you put a question mark in there, so you asked the question. And oh, the, the answer to the question was no. It is it is classic. You could quick clickbait in. A, a lot of what like we do in my living is that you're looking for that step below clickbait. Uh, basically, you think of the word clickbait. But mm. what, is, what is bait? The bait is a big sharp hook in your food that goes through your lip. Or bait and switch is the phrase, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the idea is is like with, with a lot of the content we'll do is you you got to make sure that people can't just use your articles as a ticker service, where it'll get posted on social media. They'll read the headline and they don't need to read anything else. So oh yeah, I've got everything I need from the headline. Keep scrolling. Yeah. So you need to incentivize the click. But you also, you want to try and keep it in good faith. But yeah, those uh, suggestions we just put forward are not good faith. Maybe, uh, maybe I should be sitting here eating a chocolate muffin going, I'm old, I'm tired, I work with fucking children. Yeah, yeah something like that. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, given this is a WCW podcast, given this is our our return one, and we basically, I mean, I can admit this, Then you and I were talking about how we were going to do our grand return. Do we do one of our favourite all-time pay-per-views? Do we... Start start back with a bang with an amazing guest, better than any other guest we've done. Do we do a, a nitro watch along? Do we do a triple nitro watch along to make up for lost time? And then we just decided we were going to talk like a couple of assholes in a pub about wrestling. <laughs> uh, and given that we're doing this, I, 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 I might as well take your little sidebar and uh, give All Elite Wrestling what I hope is not going to be something that gets recorded and sent back to me. I want to give him credit and hope it doesn't bite me on the arse for mm. what appears to be avoiding a WCW Hogan situation. Because when you say about muffins and, and working with children, the, the part of that press conference, that, that infamous 
brawl out press conference was um, <laughs> that's what it's been called now yeah <laughs> like um it. but the the part that was the red flag for me was things like uh i'm trying to run a business here and i i drew the million first million dollar gate off my back and it's like, yeah, the, the the guys who were able to make this brag about entire companies before were also the ones that made sure the place was in no fit state to carry on after they walked off to their next project. So, mm-hmm. honestly, as somebody who watches AEW, they, they, they clearly haven't completely healed from that utter, utter disaster of a situation they've had this year. But I, I actually feel we're a little bit confident eventually they'll heal from it, whereas if they'd have carried on uh, serving this man's whims and, and being the same way as those that were Bischoff were with Hogan, I feel like we'd be doing because AEW 10 years from now. Yeah, and and I think, you know, I, I mean, obviously the world is, is very different from, from the 90s when, when WCW was in its prime, but I kind of get the feeling if, if you know, Hulk Hogan had, had done something similar, um, He'd probably got away with it because he was Hulk Hogan. But um, well, as you said, Punk, you know, they've, they've, they've seemingly Punk will not be appearing in AEW ever again. The thing that has been agreed about that is that um, Hogan always had a far better degree of tact about his shittiness. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He... Apart from, did you do you remember that time when in the early 90s when he was w, the last run he had as WWF champion when um, it was when he was facing um, before he faced the great Muta at wrestling Dontaku and he said something like um, the the IWGP belt is like a Rolls Royce and the WWF belt's like a Ford or something I, I, you know, it was something along those lines where he used cars to compare the two and basically said that the belt he was holding was shit uh, I mean, yeah, I, I can I can see why that that can do damage, but also at the same time, the aim there is clear that he is sucking up to the Japanese wrestling crowd. Yeah. Just in case that is his chief source of the income he's accustomed to, uh, which looked possible at one point until the WWE thing came along. Um, tell tell me which wrestling company you see and punk was setting himself up for by going nuclear at the press conference he he wasn't he wasn't setting up his next pay gig he wasn't he wasn't able to co-opt the company after they had you 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 noticed that he weren't weren't answering their calls in 2019 yeah uh and he had failed to co-opt it because there is a lot more to AEW than just there, there, there's a lot more to AEW than just the elite and their names in the promotion. Yeah. This is, this is, this is a culmination of a, of a lot of independent wrestlers working hard and, and getting noticed and the market getting to a point where, you, you know, thanks to WWE and thanks to the, the work of others, where we got back to a point where there was legitimate, market interest in a second major mainstream company so um yeah he 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 jumped on that in my opinion and he tried to co-opt it uh and it's funny you look at you look at cm punk's year you know from from all out to brawl out he um He's, it was a game of two halves, Dean. He, he spent the first half, he couldn't put a foot wrong. He was having great match after great match, great storyline after great storyline. The Eddie Kingston, the MJF, the Darby Allen thing. It was all good. He was wrestling a, a multitude of guys. Um, and then as soon as the MJF feud ended and they, they 
put him in the framework to, you know, to succeed Hangman Page as the champion and be the face of it. Everything he did was awkward. It wasn't just there was a lot being said about the Hangman Page thing, but like even the John Moxley feud was weird. Mm. It's like uh, it was one thing when Eddie Kingston, who who plays who plays his role really well, you know, he's a beloved character, but he's ne- he's never like a great person on the screen. He's always got that edge about him. He's always got that attitude about him. It's very much who he is. He's like the bad news brown of modern wrestling. <laughs> and I mean that as a, as, as a higher compliment. Um, and no, I like that comparison. Yeah, there's a, there, there, there's a lot of similarities there in just the way he carries himself. It's a good thing to have. And when he's come out saying these things and he's being a little bit dickish and a little bit heelish to CM Punk, it worked. And then they had Hangman Page doing a very similar thing. It did not suit Hangman Page at all, given like the storyline yeah. and, and the sort and of the character. Yeah. And, and then they had John Moxley do it. And I know John Moxley's a little bit more outlaw like Kingston and those two like like on screen, off screen friends and all that. But for where Moxley was, it just didn't suit. They were desperately trying to put every, even the most beloved and respected characters and wrestlers on the roster and every time it was a case of right we're framing these to be fed to punk and it got tedious fast and then when you couple that with with the drip feed of information you get from elsewhere most of it you can take with a pinch of salt because yeah when people say about oh yeah the melts reports this reports yeah yeah there's a lot of he said she said there but then you have punk go out and do what he did on the press conference and there's no yeah, that's unforgivable that's it's right unforgivable, horse's yeah. mouth he's put himself right out yeah. there he's there's no hiding it he said he's you know he's put he's put his entire personality up for everyone to see and it's not pretty so whatever you you we can speculate about how involved the elite were in it but there is no speculation about punk because yeah. the ugly truth is out there for everyone to see and you know it's it's no secret that you know when I've I've said before when when he um, was over in the UK with the FWA many years ago, you know before he was I mean he was a, a name on the uh, on the independence to a degree but he wasn't a big star by any stretch but um, myself and a lot of other people didn't really like the guy we didn't get on with him you know obviously you can you work with the people fine but as far as you know there are people that come over that that you absolutely love and there are people you come over that you don't get on too well with and he was he was one of those so you know i think it's just it's in in his nature that's what the guy's like but um but it, um yeah that i, I it's i think yeah, as you said he, he shot himself in the foot and, and i think what's what's also worth noting as well is you know you're talking about from from start to finish of, of what happened with him was one really interesting gauge to me was hooked on wrestling that, that um you know i'm a part of and and we're, we're often at their events um they they did a screening of it. Was it all out the year before the Punk's debut? I think it was, wasn't it? The Punk debut one, yeah, all out yeah. 2021. Yeah, all out 2021 was far and away by an absolute mile the busiest AEW viewing party that Hooked on Wrestling have ever done. Or not just the London one, everywhere around the country. And very similar to the pay-per-view numbers around the world, actually. And then I think with hindsight, a lot of people wanted to watch that show because they had the curiosity of what is CM Punk going to be like as a wrestler? You know, they'd see him do a promo, but they hadn't seen him in the ring. What's he going to be like in the ring after seven years out? And 
they had that question answered. You know, very good. Hadn't didn't seem to have missed much of a beat at all. Um, and the numbers kind of went back down to normal, both on pay per view and the, the hooks on wrestling parties. You know, and so I think there was that initial swell of curiosity, and then the numbers went down as time went on, which, which you're going to, you're always going to get, you know, any, any kind of, whether it's a nostalgia pop, whether it's a curiosity pop, whatever, but, but that's how it went. And and I think, you know, it was always, it was always going to go downhill to a degree after he set foot through, through those ropes. Yeah. The funny thing is with some of the people saying, oh, CM Punk's the draw. How do you side with other people over him when he's the draw? It's like, how is he any different to Goldberg in WWE? At, at, at this stage, you uh, 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 and to be honest, people might say, "Oh yeah, CM Punk delivers more in the ring, uh, on the mic." But now I think, like I said, like that year of CM Punk, it was, it was honestly, it was like a half year of brilliance and a half year of more mm. awkwardness than anything. So I wouldn't say it was like he was absolute dynamite all the time. That first, first six months, I'll give you. Um, Goldberg had some great few. He had, he had some absolute catastrophes, like the Undertaker match, but he had some great like uh, that first kind of like the first part of his sort of return. He was never really back full time, but when he was kind of back making appearances, it was it was the Brock Lesnar feud, extremely well received, very yeah. good. It kind of gave birth to the finish of spam fists, but the ones that they had were really good to watch. Um, so there, there's really not a lot of difference. He's a guy been brought in to bring new eyes to it. Obviously, the business idea is to use that to bring eyes in, and then you want to try and retain them. A lot, a lot of what I do in my line of work is about, you, you know, you can look at the the numbers of of what clicks you get, but at the end of the day, I, I, it doesn't take a a genius to know that on a week where there's a huge boxing fight, because we mostly have boxing on design. <laughs> Um, we're going to have our best numbers of the year. But what I focus on in terms of of improving our situation is to try and make sure that we have more eyes on us on a quiet month than we did in a quiet month in 2021. Yeah. And there are things you can do. to, And that's what I mostly focus on. You know you're going to get those big spikes. But anyone who hangs their hat from a business perspective on those big spikes doesn't really understand what they're supposed to be doing. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and, the, and the big concern about this from a punk perspective was that, yeah, obviously the, the aim of the game, anyone knows this, including him, the aim of the game is to get more eyes on the product via punk and then they settle in on the on the powerhouse Hobbses and things that, you know, yes. and, the, and the day-to-day thing. And then they're set, even when in seven, eight, nine years, when Punk is like between 50 and 55, might not want to wrestle anymore. These guys still are, but they've yeah. been brought in via Punk and now they're fans of AEW, of the Hobbses exactly. and all that. Yeah. Now, it's and exactly that... what I I was brought in to do when, when I went into 1PW, where they'd got a lot of American imports, realised it wasn't, cost-effective and and what basically what we did was we got british people either aligned with or feuding with the the overseas stars um so therefore off the top of my head um dave well he's called dave morales then dave mastiff as he's known now 
Um, he was aligned with um, Sterling James Keenan, who who is now now known as Corey Graves and and uh, Abyss. So yeah, if you and, and we'd we'd have things like that. So exactly the same thing that you would come in, you know, to see Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, people like that. But then the idea was that you would leave as a fan of Spud or. Dave Morales or whoever it might be from the, the British end of things and kind of just transfer fans from, from A to B. And that's my biggest fear about this punk thing. The way he went nuclear at the end, you wonder if there was a genuine fear on his part that people were going to get into AEW because of him, but they'd then get into AEW whether he was there or not. Yeah. I don't think he wanted that at all. And that was one of the reasons he's made this big blow up and tried to get people inside. Yeah. Because he wants to Well, he knew he get... was injured. He knew he'd done, he'd uh, torn his bicep and he was going to be out for months and months. Yeah. And it feels like the end game for him was to make sure that there were enough people that took his side against AEW rather than fall, oh, well, well, Punk's injured. He's the reason I started tuning in. But actually, I like AEW now. And if he doesn't ever yeah. come back because. Like he's old and he's hurt and he doesn't want to wrestle anymore, and who cares? I like this thing, and I I think that that thought drove him crazy. Mm. Yeah. Um. Now on the subject of uh, not being around for months and months, I suppose uh, really we ought to address the elephant in the room, and I I, I think I owe our uh, our listeners a bit of an explanation, um, as to why this is the first podcast we have done in seven months. Um, so yeah, I've, I've not been very well, <laughs> shall we say, um, nothing, nothing, um, like life threatening or anything like that before anyone gets too worried. Um, but basically one day towards the end of April on a Monday morning, I just woke up with a really, really bad headache. Um, didn't think much of it other than like calling into work saying I wouldn't make it in and going back to bed again. Um, and this headache just wouldn't go away. Um, whatever I took, whatever painkillers I took, whatever I tried just wouldn't go away. Um, and I'd had problems with headaches before where I'd been given medication that had got rid of them and they'd never come back again. So I, I kind of thought, oh, maybe the medication I'm on has just kind of passed its shelf life and I need something else now. Um, and basically ended up um, seeing a, a neurologist and um, they're able to like rule out brain tumors and stuff like that, which was good to, to know. Um, but basically I've been diagnosed with chronic migraines um, where they've said my, my brain has become hypersensitive to sort of artificial light stimuluses. So um, one of the main things was looking at a laptop, for example, which I do, you know, for my day job, 24 7 basically so that meant that i was really having trouble being i wasn't able to work um and um i mean even even now i'm i'm recording this with you on my laptop but the the notes that i made for this podcast i've printed out and i'm looking at a bit of paper and i've got the actual laptop screen turned away from me so i'm staring at the back of the laptop so i haven't got any um any light shining in my face um so, yeah, we had to try lots of different combinations of medication and each combination you had to like give uh, about four weeks. So you know, best part of a month to see if it worked or not. Um, and 
finally, I think on the third attempt, we we've we hit upon the combination that seems to be making things more manageable. They haven't got rid of them completely, and I'm kind of on a gradual return back to work, and it's it's going okay, but I'm still getting the odd headache here and there. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get back to normal. I was able to do um, commentary on a, a Hamelock, the, the revival of Hamelock Wrestling um, in Maidstone a couple of weeks ago. Um, so and, and yeah, some, doing something like coming back to do you know, do a podcast again, it's just another another step on the path back to normality. So it's um, it's uh, it's hopefully going to um, going to do me good as well. But um, so yeah, many apologies to uh, our our millions and millions of uh, of loyal listeners who've been probably wondering where the hell I've been for the last few months. But um, that is the, uh, an, an abridged version of what's happened, really. I dare say you don't know anyone an apology first. Uh, we, you know, I love doing this podcast with you. And I know, oh, I'd say, the, what was it, the, the last six months before you had to take some medical time off, we are, are just are, f- f- from both of our sides, like the frequency of episodes was was down to like monthly. And we, we like to shoot for fortnightly, don't we? There was a, yeah. the golden age of podcasting where we were able to do weekly. But then I'd oh, rather... During the, during the lockdowns when we had sod all else to do, yes. I, I would trade never being able to do weekly podcasts again for never being in a pandemic again. Don't you worry. <laughs> fortnightly is absolutely fine if we can keep our normal lives now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. And um, and to, to answer the question, I, I know you're wondering, Liam, because we often talk about hashtag five concussions concussions um i did ask about if uh, if this could be caused by concussions and they basically said they couldn't rule anything in and they couldn't rule anything out but um could I they would... rule anything shake it all about <laughs> they um yeah but uh I, i'm just um i I'm, I'm kind of thinking that probably getting hit over the head with a chair a couple of times in the in the 2000s wasn't the best thing i could have done in hindsight but um there you go but I dare say it's probably worth giving uh, old Chris Nowinski a bit of a bell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If, well, if anyone I, can I, help your situation, it's him. Ironically, he was in the main event of one of the shows where I got a concussion after getting hit over the head with a chair. I did not know that. Yes. To get a concussion in, in the presence of Chris Nowinski is... is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's almost like my, uh, my 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 friend and ex boss who I caught up with in New York when I was there. This has all happened since the last episode. Uh, I was out in New York for Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano week on. Oh yeah, I was on the zone, uh, and I I, I I met up with him uh, a Mets game because uh, and I went to go to this Mets game anyway because it was the Phillies. My my Phillies were at the Mets, mm-hmm. and. They didn't score a single hit in the entire game, which hey. is which is quite rare, and it's never nice to be on the wrong side of. Um, and especially the way they did it was called a combined no hitter, because it wasn't just one pitcher staying in the game and, and and getting no hits, which is tough to do. But for for multiple pitchers to be used by one team in the game, I think it's only happened 18 times in MLB history. So that's 162 games, 100 years. Yeah, it's a lot of games, and this happens so, 18 so, times. So what's that? Where the Phillies didn't score a single run, uh, they, a, or, they, or they, they didn't get a single guy out. They didn't. They didn't get a single hit. Now, if you if you hit the ball into play on the baseball field and yeah. you get onto first base, yeah. that is a hit. If 
the pitcher throws the ball and it catches your arm or or heaven forbid your head or something important, uh, the punishment for that is you get to go straight to first base. If they throw four balls, which are when they throw it and it's just rubbish and it's not in the yep. strike zone and you don't swing at it, uh, four of those is a walk. Now, there were a few walks, but no one on the Phillies team was able to hit the ball into play and get on base. Right. So it would just be like outs and all that. Uh, it's not, uh, and, uh, and they somehow managed to do it again in the World Series. But I'm not so bitter about that because I had no right being in the World Series and they still made the World Series. So <laughs> so good on them. But my, fr- my friend, when I say about like getting a concussion in the, in the presence of Chris Nowinski, my friend says, I must be the only person on the planet to have seen Glenn Helder score for Arsenal and watch the MLB combined no-hitter. And I was like, I don't think anyone's going to challenge you on that. But yeah, there's the headstone. <laughs> ah, nice. The the engraved headstone. And talking of things being engraved, uh, it's a tenuous link. But um, we we've we've come up with um with a, a topic for today's show because one one thing I was just going to say oh, was I love that. that. Yeah, about <laughs> that. but because um I at the moment I'm not sure whether uh, watch longs are going to be viable unless maybe we did them in chunks and sewed it all together because um, staring at a screen for an hour and a half watching an episode of Nitro probably isn't going to, uh, isn't going to be the best thing for me, but um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But what Liam is the, is the topic of today's discussion. So on the subjects of things like clickbait and all that, so some of these other things we do just to generate a bit of interesting content. One of the more popular ones at the moment is uh, as a conversation starter, you, you guys would have probably seen sporting places and others do Mount Rushmore's. And obviously Mount Rushmore is for notable former presidents, isn't it? Yep. So when everyone in a, in a sporting debate or a pub debate or whatever will say... Um, what is your Mount Rushmore of? You're naming your top four, the four most iconic, the four most memorable uh, choices for this category. So I've written down a bunch of categories to do with OCW, and we, we, we won't spend too long on, on each one. We won't dwell whatever. I just figured it would be a nice, fun, light thing where, yeah, we're back, baby. Yeah, and um, Liam did uh, give me um, six categories um, ahead of time, ahead of recording. So I, I scribbled down some notes on that, and um, and he's now given me an absolute shitload more, which I see I haven't prepared for at all. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Right but, for the, um, for the last time, Dean, I gave you six examples to explain the concept to you. I warned you that I would compile a list of more. All right. Who who ever <laughs> thought that you would do something to excess? What's that supposed to mean? You know. <laughs> Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. Um, right. Do, do you want to uh, do you want to kick things off then? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll roll through these and we'll just see how we go. We, we, we've got no expectations here. If we if we can't agree on four or we can't even think of four, who cares? We'll leave it to you, the listener, to maybe try and help us out. We'll do some tweets maybe in the coming days to to try and get a few uh, a few contrasting thoughts or a bit of help maybe even on this. But the obvious one to start, 
other wrestlers at WCW. If there was a WCW and WCW only Mount Rushmore of wrestlers, and I know this one has been posed in pro wrestling or WWE a lot, but WCW wrestlers, who is the Mount Rushmore? Okay. Um, so do you want my, my first pick then? Yeah, you, you go and give me some ideas and I'll get involved as and when. We're, okay. we're, we're making this up as we go along. It's like it's like watching a Vince Russo uh, show. It's, <laughs> it's a shoot, brother. Forget everything else that was made up. This is a shoot. Yeah. Um, Vince Russo, incidentally, is, is not anywhere on any of my WCW Mount Rushmore's, I'm <laughs> afraid to say. Um, the person I put at my... I mean, I know it's not necessarily in any particular order, but the first, the person that I put in, in number one for me uh, was Sting, simply because, um, you know, he, he didn't leave for the WWF, unlike so many others, or didn't come from the WWF. You know, he, he was... Um, he was WCW through and through for the entire duration of the company. Um, he was responsible for the biggest buy rate ever for Starcade '97. Um, you know, he was a perennial main eventer. You you pretty much always got a good match out of him, um, with a with a couple of odd, odd memorable exceptions like like Halloween Havoc '92 against Jake Roberts. But you know, he he was the he was a perennial main eventer, perennial babyface, generally speaking, always got a good reaction. I mean, we've seen it on nitros where a, a crowd's been pretty dead and then Sting comes out and all of a sudden the volume goes up a hundred times. So, um, yeah, Sting is definitely has to be on, on my Mount Rushmore. He was cursed at Halloween Havocs, actually, now I think about it, wasn't he? Did he ever have a good Halloween Havoc match? He had that weird match in uh, 90 against Sid Vicious, where Barry Windham had Barry to pretend Windham to be a yeah. taller, tubbier version of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 91, Chamber of Horrors, enough said. Yeah. Spin the Wheel, Coal Miner's Glove, 92, as you 92, said. Yeah. Uh, what did he do in 93? I have to double check. I know you had Catch Jack and Vader. Who did he wrestle? Ninety-four. Uh, did he have a match? He was. He, he would have been. He was being portrayed as a Hulk Hogan underling at that time, wasn't he? And you had um, Hogan Flair career match. Yep, that's right. Uh, Ninety-five. He's never yeah. had a good match there. Ninety-six, ninety-seven. He obviously didn't wrestle because he was doing his thing with the crow gimmick. Yeah. Uh, 98. Was it? Or was he injured at that point? Wasn't he written off by Bret Hart? Or maybe written off by Bret Hart on that show? Uh, oh, and if yeah. you're talking about Sting Bret Hart, you, you really should be able to say it was a much better match than they ever did mm. deliver with that. 99, there was that sham with... Uh, he did the sham thing with Hogan and the sham thing with Goldberg because Vince Russo needs shoots, brother. Brother. And then, although I would put this on one of the greatest matches ever, you had um, when he wrestled Jeff Jarrett at Halloween Havoc 2000, they had the thing where they hardly wrestled because these um, these these plants kept making run-ins dressed as all the different versions of Sting over the years, which I thought was quite funny and entertaining, but it wasn't a good match. 
but it was an entertaining like sort of thing for a hill to do to send out to send out this cast of 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 no names all dressed as the different various past versions of Sting. I like that, but no, he's never had a good match at Halloween ever kind of thing. But yeah, to, to to go to your point, yeah, he's. I mean, he was always on on screen portrayed as the conscience of the company, and it wasn't really some just something they gave him. He really was. He was the he was the measuring stick, and he, he probably is the the absolute no brainer for this list. And I'm yeah. sure there's a couple of others that you can't really admit. I would I would say Flair and Hogan are probably going to get two spots, but I feel like even then. Sting is the first ballot, and then you say Flair and Hogan afterwards. In terms of yeah. a WCW Mount Rushmore, well, I, I, yeah, I had, I had Flair as my second one because obviously he did spend a bit of time with the opposition, but generally speaking, he was always seen as the superstar, the figurehead, well, the, 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 the big name, the, the guy that the, you know mainstream people knew in WCW. He, uh, he was the, well, he was the man. The, the WCW brand was arguably built off his back because he was the the undisputed NWA man. If you did an NWA Matt Rushmore, you're probably saying Flair first, yeah, uh, and then Rhodes, and then Race probably, and then, and then you're looking for a fourth. But uh, WCW came from the ashes of that, and he was the guy who who helped launch that. So yeah, and and you look at you know the the fact that Flair and Sting faced each other in the, the first Nitro and the last Nitro. And mm. I mean, obviously the first Nitro was, they just wanted to put on a a show with big name wrestling, big name and people that they knew would have a good match. So it was all people who were familiar with each other, wasn't it? You had Liger and Pillman, you had Hogan and Big Bubba Rogers, Big Boss Man, and you had Flair V Sting. So you, you had matches that, that, that the promoters knew would be good. Um, and then, yeah, a symbolic gesture on that last nitro for them to, to wrestle each other one more time, just to, to close the book, to bookend the whole, the, the whole nitro history. Yeah. But to be chosen as the first match on the first show as well, like mm. obviously uh, like it's been said ever since by Bischoff and by others, the whole aim of nitro, and this was how nitro changed the game was. They were they they set out to produce a TV show that wasn't squash matches. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to have big matches on the show, and they've decided the way to make sure that's clear from the very offer. Yeah, first impressions being key, statement of intent, Ooh. and all that uh, is we need Flair and Sting. If we open this TV show with Flair versus Sting, people we know that this show is going to deliver big matches. So that, that that's a testament to yeah. who they were in the eyes of even Bischoff, who has taken both Flair and Sting for granted over the years. Yeah. Um, now, my in, uh, the, the interesting thing from what you've said there is I haven't included Hogan. And I don't know if that's right or not, but I haven't included him because I think just to me... When I think of Hogan, I think of WWF. I think of the uh, the other side, and then I do think of him coming in and kind of ninety four, ninety five, just ru- ruining the company that I liked compared to the WWF by turning it into a like WWF light. But then, of course, you've got to consider you've got the, the Bash at the Beach. And the- 96, the heel turn, the creation of the NWO and, and all the business that that brought with it. So 
it's it's probably a fair shout to that given what he did to the for WCW should probably be in there. You know, the conundrum you've just outlined is exactly right to be fair and I, I mentioned him quickly, but yeah, as we got onto it, I would have said the same thing. I, I'll hear all arguments for not having him on a WCW Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. I'll hear all arguments for it. It may, yeah. it's easy. It's easy to go either way. It makes for a very spirited debate. It's a sort of thing that pro debate teams in a school would pick as a subject because that's how, that's how you, you 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 know you exercise and sharpen up your teams. Uh, there, there, there's cases to me made for both sides. Um, I could easily not have him on it. Uh, you've also you've got to look at who else goes on there in yeah. his place. Uh, but it's a double-edged sword because there's there's always been arguments made that WCW might not have got much further uh, without him joining in '94. Mm. But there's also a very strong argument that gets made that the the culture that he brought in with creative control and uh, and like we were saying in that CM Punk thing, the wrestler over company thing, yeah, it, it killed WCW. Yeah. Because so, yeah, we, we've had this discussion before with, with Finn Martin, with Guy Evans, the author of the Nitro book. Um, you know, there's there's no there's no single factor. There's no one bullet that killed WCW. But if if I had to pick one factor out of all of the factors that did the most damage, I would put it on creative control clauses in people's contracts absolutely from a business standpoint and let's be honest here wcw doesn't exist because of business problems uh they were unsustainable and they felt they might have felt like they had to offer that to hogan to get him but as we said the, the fact that he was uh you know denouncing the wwf championship on a new on a new japan show and doing all of this to try and secure his, his, you know, some bookings and his TV career. I know this is benefit of hindsight, but let's yeah. be honest. Like from the ones we've seen with, with Dwayne Johnson as an exception, there's uh, who who would have really thought that he was suddenly going to take off and be this amazing TV star? Ooh. Yeah, he he wasn't that great. He just had like a, a, a big presence and was a big brand. So surely if, if, if you're WCW and you just wait it out because they weren't going to go belly up in the matter of months, they were worried that they wouldn't see the year 2000 without like a big player like Hogan. But if you just wait out six to 12 months, is he really going to be in a position to bargain? So, um, who do we have slots three and four then? That's going to be the interesting part. Okay, well, my my slot three, um, and it's because this was someone who was the dominant champion when I was a teenager growing up, when when WCW Worldwide was on the TV and when they were touring the UK a lot, and I absolutely loved him. Um, so my third spot is for Vader. Yeah, it's a really good shirt. I mean, you, you think when we talk about the early 90s UK ITV worldwide effect, and it's clear whenever we have guests on and our listeners reach out to us, it's very clear that there is a lot of that on these shores 
and it's mm. great to see because you and I are, are kids of that very same thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's clear just how important Vader was to that. Just like we say, and I feel like this is a conversation we had in the previous episode, but you talk about your stings and flares, but your sting and Vader is almost like a, it's like 1A on 1B, isn't it? Yeah. When you yeah. look at stings defining feuds. I mean, we'll, we'll get onto that when we talk about about feuds, but but definitely, yeah, you you need you need that strong opponent, you need mm. the strong heel, and and I think when you think about early nineties WWF, um, where you yeah you still had Hogan around, you had Warrior, um, it it was, I mean you know you did then have the your your Bret Hart's and Shawn Michaels and people like that who are bringing in a more technical style, but. WWF still had that feeling of being the over-the-top cartoony kind of place. And then you watched this huge guy, Vader, beating the bejesus out of people. And, you know, like the feud with Cactus Jack and the powerbomb on the concrete. And and it, you just, it was one of those things where if if you saw, if someone who wasn't a wrestling fan walked in and on walked into your front room when you had WWE worldwide on with Vader against a, a jobber, they would be, they wouldn't be thinking, Oh, that's this fake wrestling crap. They would be thinking bloody hell that looks painful. Yeah. Hey, uh, t- tell me he wasn't hurting these people. It looked real. You've heard the reports. There were, there were definitely a few shots that were very real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah he, he was amazing. I completely get, I, 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 you know, I'll chime in here and there, but I'm kind of enjoying you leading the way with the picks to be honest. Uh, and you, and, and you've, you've set me straight on the, on the Hogan thing. You've, 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 uh, <laughs> you've stopped me from wandering down a dark path by allowing I mean, Hogan onto the, <laughs> I, I, I would, I, you know, like, like like you i i can see the case for and i can see the the case against and if hogan was yeah. one of our four on there i you know i um i i wouldn't um i wouldn't be eating a chocolate muffin saying that you couldn't manage target store and, and storming out of this podcast so yeah don't worry well what will it take for that to happen because i know really want to see that happen <laughs> uh we'll we'll get to that i'm sure when we get to um maybe when we get to music who knows? <laughs> um, Go on, finish us off for this one. Who's your number four? It it was tricky because there were cer- there there were uh, I was th- there were certain people I was thinking like I was thinking do I do I put Goldberg in there because he was like he was the pretty much the one guy that WCW the star that WCW created but I kind of thought he wasn't around for long enough and the match quality wasn't there. Um, I was thinking of maybe DDP. I was thinking of maybe Booker T. Um, I was thinking maybe even Scott Steiner. But the person that I I put in the end, and it's for kind of similar reasons to Sting, and he's one of these people that kind of goes hand in hand with Sting. And I ended up with with Lex Luger because um, I'm just thinking, you know, he again like Sting. He was always at the top of the card. Um, he was he was always a presence. He always had a storyline. You know, look how how much we enjoyed the the faux baby face Lex Luger tagging up with Sting. Oh, don't in, in, in uh, what was that in '97? I could do an episode about that storyline alone. <laughs> yeah. I think. Um, yeah, the the fact that he was the surprise that came in 
on Nitro, the very first Nitro, and look what happened. He goes straight after the world champ. So um, quite happy to get knocked off this one, but uh, it was a tricky fourth spot, but I've given it to Luger. It's interesting where you could probably say you've got this cut. It, it's almost like Sting, Flair, Vader is, is a hard three. It's, it's hard to argue for not having them on. And then you've got slot four where you've got, as you said, Luger, DDP, so many other, you know, Booker and Stein are both shats. And you've got a situation where you could go one of several ways for that fourth spot. But Luger makes it, you think when we talk about early 90s era, you've got the, uh, you know, I, I remember the merch, merchandising actually made its way over here a little bit. I remember there was the, you got the pair of giant action figures that were Sting and Luger. You'd see T-shirts that were Sting or Luger or Sting and Luger. Uh, they were the two for merch, uh, which was pretty awkward when he sodded off to WWE <laughs> months later. But but they were clearly the faces of it. You know, right right at the start of NWA becoming WCW. You've got those two as the top baby faces because obviously they turned Luger babyface when Sting was injured. Uh, then Luger was back heel. They headlined the Super Brawl. He's back, as you said, with the first Nitro. Yeah, he's 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 all over the place. And he had moments where he stunk the place out, but he had a lot of moments where he really, really didn't. And it's easy to forget that. Mm. So who who are we putting in? We're saying Sting, Flair, Vader, and are we saying Luger is the fourth, or Hogan, or someone else? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna defer to you since I have posed this question. I think ultimately we we will we will write down what you have put here, and I'm gonna. And I like the fact that we've got an order here. It's almost like a ranking. So Sting, Flair, Vader, Luger is our WCW. Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. And I feel like that category will probably get a bit more time than some of the others will, which is fine. So yeah. I, I don't want this to feel like it's going to be a free-hour podcast. <laughs> some of these will get whizzed through, we'll have some fun with. But this one could be an it's, interesting yeah. one. It's, Tag it's team. only a three-hour three podcast if we have Rob McNichol on. You know that. Which is why he's banned. <laughs> um, Tag teams is the obvious yes. follow-up. Yes, indeed. Do you want to kick us off on that? or? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw some out because it feels like, again, when we talk about first ballots and ones that can't be argued off of it, it feels like we've got to give those first two slots to the Steiners and Harlem Heat. That's exactly the order I've got here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly because the it, there here. are other teams who are up there in terms of quality and achievements maybe surpass them. But again, like with a Sting thing, when you think of who has that WCW feel... Who, who just represents WCW just by standing still. Uh, the Steiners and Harlem Heat, just they, they bleed WCW in, in a way, don't they? Just just yeah. who they are as, as, as on-screen characters. Yeah, I mean, the Steiners' peak was the, the early 90s, that period where NWA was becoming WCW. And, you, you know, they had, they had these moves that... that Western fans had never seen before, and yeah, they were they were happening in Japan, they're happening in Mexico, but they were t- they were pr- giving them to a new audience, and they just looked unbeatable, and and the the obvious fluidity by being from being real life brothers, um, as as are Harlem Heat, of course, but um, yeah, they uh, obviously they they came back 
after a, a less than successful run in the WWF where they never quite fitted in. But to me, when I think tag teams, especially sort of that, you know, the, my, when I think WCW, I, my my era, my immediately, the, sorry, the era I immediately think of is that sort of early to mid 90s, that WCW mm. Worldwide and ITV era. Um, and, and yeah, they were all over the place. And then, yeah, Harlem Heat, as you say, in the mid nineties, when the the WCW tag team scene or tag team wrestling as a whole, actually across the whole of of the USA and and the the West, was was on its ass. And it, we had we had lots of title changes and lots of teams hopping between different promotions. And and as you said, Liam Harlem Heat were just there con- consistently the whole time until that team was split up. They were with all these comings and goings. They were there, and was it seven-time world champion, something like that? Uh, I think it was like ten years. Because remember, they, they were split up, and then they got back together and won even more reigns. Ah, yes. In true. 1999, and then they did the infamous split up for good, where, well, the team was split up for good. They did reunite in a way, but they split up where you had the was it the Harlem Heat 2000. 2000. Um, Stevie Ray and Booker T reunited on screen when Booker T was the world champion. By that point, Stevie Ray retired, I think. Mm. Very rare. I feel, I feel like I remember him teaming with his brother on like a thunder every now and then. But but they were, you, you know, this, this, we're, we're talking like Stevie Ray's done at this point and he's basically done a couple more matches because his brother's the world champion and there's a yeah. story to be had. But yeah. Just for, till the very end, almost like by the time I, I think if we looked up when their last, the last time they teamed up together, you're probably looking at six months later the company's over. Mm. So yeah, those, those two are locks. There's a, there, it feels like there's a few candidates to fill slots three and four. Uh, after we agree that uh, Rick Steiner and Kenny Chaos get slot number three, we just gotta <laughs> decide who gets number four. Uh, the Cole Twins. <laughs> Disorderly conduct. Oh, uh, was that? Oh, who who are Rage and Chaos? Yeah, that was that was a different team. Was it yeah, high voltage? High voltage. Because yeah. what, what was it? Tough Tom and Mean Mike were disorderly contact. <laughs> you know, Viano four and five. Oh, although, although one of them had an absolute banger with Pentagon in Mexico recently. Yes, lost his mask, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. So, so who's your third choice? Oh, this is where it gets interesting, isn't it? See, I've I've got another. I I've got another. What I think is a nailed-on choice, but it go maybe on, it's go not on. as obvious. No, no, no. Well, do you know what? Yeah. To me, the the third nailed-on choice is the Outsiders, Hall and Nash. No, it's a fair shot. I mean, it's... because of what they what they did to the the promotion and the perception of the promotion. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we're we're looking. Originally, we were looking inside the box in terms of, you know, the outsiders obviously held the tag titles a few times, had at least one really long reign, but it's easy to to, to not think of their tag title reign. You know, some of the booking was a bit rubbish, and the and the dusty finishes and the non defenses and that. Um, but at the end of the day, as you said, when you when you think about even just that early 
early door stuff of Hall and Nash. And as we said in that, in that infamous three-hour podcast with Rob McNichol, we said probably the the greatest match of all time to not have a finish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was Hall and Nash. Oh, Hogan showed up at the end. He technically was was the third man, but he didn't wrestle. No. Uh, and, yeah. And- like we, we've said before, when we were looking over that, we were live did a watch along of the the first two hour nitro, which you know that was the one that had Scott Hall coming out from the audience and and delivering the the you know why I'm here promo, and I have you know I, I I've got to consider the two of them together because you know it was only a matter of weeks before one the other one came in, but I just remember at the time there were people. I knew that were like diehard WWF fans who never considered watching WCW because that was you know the, the the rubbish on the other side. It was it was almost like you know a conservative voter would never think of voting Labour or vice versa. It's like you've picked your side and that's it. And then when they heard that Razor Ramon and Diesel, as they knew them, had gone to WCW and had turned up there, and, and Hulk Hogan was in there as well, and, and a few other people, it's like. Hold on a minute. What's going on here? And and those you know those people started watching, and and that's obviously a pattern that was repeated around the world because you look at the viewing figures for Nitro and how they went up during that period of time. Yeah. So I think this fourth slot is going to be interesting. Now, one thing I want to get out of the way is that it feels like there's a couple of what would normally be really obvious picks. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll name them as the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express, who I'm not sure we, because, and, and this has been set in fairness since we started this podcast, and we were considering what papers to cover. Our line in the sand was always, we put it somewhere in 1990 because it was never yes. like it was never like WWE just getting the f out, and it was like from this day on, it's WWE. It was a gradual transition, wasn't it, where WCW branding started to take over and they stopped mentioning the NWA altogether. Yeah. And it's hard to consider either team because, again, like like we were saying earlier about Ric Flair and the NWA and he'd be the first choice for wrestler, it feels like they're they're no-brainers for NWA, but... They no, didn't I didn't really do. I mean, the, yeah. the Road Warriors came back for a bit, but it wasn't yeah. a, a great run. No, they. I mean, I I had the exact same thought there, and that I also when I was thinking about music actually, because I was thinking like the mid yeah the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express they were NWA they weren't really WCW, and and yeah the Road Warriors they came back briefly in the mid nineties but they were a, you know, a shell of their former selves they weren't booked in the same way for obvious reasons either, and and yeah I wouldn't I I wouldn't put them in there. So as much as I love the Sting and Luger storyline. I don't think they make the cut as a tag team on a Mount Rushmore. It was a great year, but but they really weren't teaming too much throughout that decade span otherwise. It gets hard to pick a full fear, but where we're going with this, it's going to be fun, you know. Sometimes sometimes four is easy, sometimes four is too yeah. little or too many. Uh, and I'll... So... I don't know, maybe this is tenuous, but they're the two best ideas I can come up, and I don't know which one to go with. But at this stage, for the full slot, I would offer you either the Nasty Boys or the tag team combination of Doom. 
unless you've got a better candidate for that now, spot. Yeah, Nasty Boys were, were in they had that absolute banger with the Steiners at Havoc 90, which is probably yeah. just right on the cusp. And We've then, reviewed they, it, haven't they we? Came, yeah, oh yeah. So, so yeah, it's fair game. It's fair game. Um, We've had it on the review. And, um, and, and yeah, then they, they came back not anywhere near as, as intense as before. I don't know. They did have that. I mean, they had an iconic run, didn't they? Have those matches with Cactus Jack and Cactus Sullivan. and Sullivan. Yeah, now, of course there was that. Yeah, Cactus and Sullivan and Cactus and Max Payne. Um, Doom, I think, is probably, again, they, they were kind of a bit too early and then they split just as WCW True. was coming in. The, the fourth team I had, and it was a bit of a just racking my brains as to who else there was. I put in the fabulous Freebirds just because I think that's more because they just entertained me so much. But again, I'm thinking they were around a bit longer than the, the other two, but um, I don't know. The nasties had a bit of time in the end of it. Yeah. Cup of coffee, but one amazing match early doors and then they're around for, we're talking four years in the middle with a, a, a very mixed bag of results. Yeah. Some of those matches are theirs where obviously they're trying to replicate the Cactus Jack, Kevin Sullivan sort of matches. Yeah. And, like they're fighting public public. Enemy that, and yeah. we, we've watched some of these and we're like, this is a sack of shit. And then we've watched another random one that we forgot happened on the nitro. It's like, this is a great brawl. And then yeah. they're doing, and then they're doing things like, uh, what, what was the angle where one public enemy dressed up as Brian Nobbs and got pinned on purpose? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what? Although, no, yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, Nasty's, I, I would, yeah, Nasty's in there as well. Then. It, yeah. feel, it feels like they're getting picked because of the arbitration of Matt Rushmore equals four. Yeah. And that if we had any control over, if it was just who enters the Hall of Fame, where you pick how many people make the cut, we probably wouldn't consider them. But I think they're the best bet to round out the four. Yeah. I love that. that this is one especially I'd love to hear our viewers, our listeners, sorry. Uh, I, really, I really want to hear what they have to say about this because I feel yeah. like this is where they might chime in and say, are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah. No, because I, I, I think exactly as you've said, Steiners and Harlem Heat are absolute no-brainers. Outsiders is a, a, a strong argument. And then the fourth spot is is fairly wide open to a number of different teams. Yeah, we had this with Luger as well. I, th- I think Luger's got a stronger case for singles than Nasty Boys for tag, but there's also a, there is a good argument for the Nasty Boys. And yeah. and like like we picked the outsiders because you've got to not just consider the match quality and that. It's 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 the icon, it's it's the defining aspects they brought to it, and we'd be silly if we didn't acknowledge how influential that Havoc 90 match was and how influential on the genre uh, that run of crazed tag team street fights they had in like yes. 94, 95 was. So yeah, like for it's, it's weird looking at the criteria that makes them take this slot, but it's, I think it's fair. Yeah, and I think yeah, what you got to consider at the, that time though, though that mid '90s era, was this was the time that ECW was getting really popular and was going from underground to something a bit bigger. And you know, in a couple of years' time, they'd be on pay per view. And this was WCW trying to out ECW, ECW, especially oh, yeah. one of those matches in Philadelphia as well. Um, so you know, they they were kind of in a position of. Um, 
trying to maintain WCW's viewership and fan fandom as such. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched upon this next one because uh, we kind of mentioned some candidates for it while talking about wrestler. Makes sense that there's a connection between Mount Rushmore of those W wrestlers and this one, Mount Rushmore of WCW feuds. I'll be very yes. interested to see what you've got here. Why don't you go nuts? Okay, my first one um, is just, to, to me and the, the era of WCW that I love, uh, I've put in number one, Sting versus Vader. Um, and we've we've talked about this, I think, when we were reviewing uh, Great American Bash '92 as well. Is that mm. when when you've got a feud, the the best feuds to me are when you've got two wrestlers that are just the absolute polar opposites. Yeah, and you've got Sting, blonde hair, colourful face paint colorful tights or on a bash 92 white tights and then you've got vader big brutal looking guy not a bodybuilder by any stretch of the imagination dressed all in black or with a bit of red and it, the if if you sat someone down who'd never seen wrestling before and said who's the good guy who's the bad guy they would be able to tell you Im- immediately um their their styles just they just meshed. They just meshed so well. Um, and also for me, of course, there's the, the memory of being live at the Olympia in, uh, not the Olympia, uh, Wembley Arena in, in London um, in 93 when, when Sting won the world title from Vader. And yes, he lost it back to him in, in Ireland next week. But, you know, the, the, the memory of seeing the WCW world title change hands before my very eyes is something that I'll, I'll never, ever forget. Um, and I just think that was... And it was one of those feuds that they, they kept going back to, but it never felt old it, it was just one of those where you're always happy to watch them tie up one more time yeah and th- this was the other thing we mentioned earlier it's, it's got to go in isn't it is the fact that sting also had a built-in on-off feud with rick flair that they could just yeah. keep going back to so I, I think we can't leave that off and it really cements sting as number one on the wrestler at Matt Rushmore because he easily takes one and two on this one. Yeah, um, I I I was umming and ahhing. I in the end I didn't I I didn't put Flair v Sting because I was thinking oh well, that's more NWA era. But actually no, you think about it. As you said, over a number of years they they keep going back to it. And there was that wasn't there the the pay per view a little while ago that we looked at where where Flair and Sting teamed up. And um, and Flair turned on Sting, and it was almost like, well, you knew he was going to turn on you. It's Ric Flair. You've been feuding with him for all these years. Well, we were watching the Nitro watchalongs as well, and it was interesting to see that, that Sting was actually being a bit of a dick to Flair on the Nitro Thunder, <laughs> wasn't he? He was like making these threats, you better not turn on me. And and even though they never came out and said it, I, I remember saying to one of those episodes, I said, they could easily have Flair cut a promo and say, like, you know what? I'm feuding with her and these guys beat me up. I want to get my revenge on them. I asked you to be my partner. I was being sincere. And then you kept every five minutes, you kept threatening me not to turn on you. And then there was that one where 
they were going to have a tune-up match as a tag team on Nitro, and Sting actually left Flair to rest with by himself as Ooh. a loyalty test. And I was saying, like, <laughs> this, this this is the moment that Flair was like, you know what, I'm going back to the fucking horseman. <laughs> uh, and they, but as you said earlier, they've bookended the Nitro era. They they, they they've had it in so many iterations. Uh, you obviously from one standpoint, you'll sit there sometimes and think, well, right, create other feuds of this quality. I'd love to see them. But then when it always said and done and you, we know we can't bring WCW back, I watch these old Sting and Flares and I, I love every single one. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it stands the test of time because yeah, as we've, we've just said, if, if WCW just decided to randomly put a Sting v Vader match on in the same way that they randomly decided to put a Sting Flair match on, you wouldn't hear a single person complaining. Yeah. So, given that I've put my foot down here, <laughs> and yeah, we, I, f- I feel like we've got to have Sting versus Flair. No, you're right. You're you right. that that means I know you, this was one of the ones you have had a little think about. That would mean that there are three on your notes, and we have room for two. So yes. why don't you lay them all out, and I'll okay. tell you if there's a fourth or a fifth I can think of. But to be honest, your three choices are probably going to be pretty solid. Well. My, I, I suppose the difference is that these next three that I've listed are all kind of one-off feuds that went across a, a long period of time. But it wasn't, unlike Sting and Flair and Sting and Vader, these weren't ones that they dipped back to. Um, but the one that I just remember really well and absolutely loved uh, was Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat. Oh yeah, and that fits the same criteria as the Sting Vader thing. Is yes. it so natural? Yes, exactly. And, and if if we were doing an NWA version of this, you would say Flair v Steamboat, and it's for exactly the same reasons that you have got two complete polar opposites. You've got Rick Ricky Steamboat, the 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 good guy, the nice guy, the family man, the you know everything that you you know the everything that you want. In a in a, a genuine baby face, and then you've got Rick Rude, the smirking, sneering, womanizing, just you know, Rick Rick Rude or ravishing Rick Rude was just an arsehole, wasn't he? Basically, and and the complete opposite of of Steamboat, um, and and it just made for such a good feud, and both of them are among the best sellers of moves you'll ever see. So they made, you know, they made each other look a million dollars all the time. Um, and I just thought it was a fantastic feud. You know, you had the, the, the ninja that was pulled poorly dangerously. You had the Iron Man match at um, Beach Blast. And it, yeah, it was just, it was just a feud that they, they naturally gravitated towards each other. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that we we could very well end up with both Flair and Steamboat on this list, but not Flair versus Steamboat, purely because it has to be said, yeah, that's definitely a thing where if we do an NWA one, Flair Steamboat's getting number one with a bullet, but for the WCW era, they had a very good match at Spring Stampede 94, yes. but that was almost a revisit of it. WCW yeah. was more, more so the host of the nostalgia trip for that feud as opposed to home of the feud. Definitely. definitely. So yeah. what else have you got? And we'll try and figure this out. Okay. So, um, 
I'm actually I'm going to park my third one because I think it's probably a stronger shout than my fourth one. But my fourth one is Chris Jericho v Dean Malenko. Um, we've we've looked at this on um, it was Slambury was it Slambury ninety eight or ninety seven? I can't yeah. remember the year now. They feuded where... through much of ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, and that Slambury one was the was the iconic moment. Yeah, because to me it was yeah one one of the things that that stood WCW out from from its rivals in my eyes was the cruiserweight division, which we'll talk more about in in a, in a bit because um, it features on a, another list. But um, and this was this was the feud between two personalities. I mean, Malenko was the straight guy to to Jericho's punchline guy as such, but you needed that. And again, you got the the opposites, haven't you? And and it was just the way that Malenko as the baby face was able to get sympathy. Um, the way that they, they even there, yeah, they brought in Malenko's father who'd passed away recently and, and Jericho just criticizing him and, and making it feel really personal because, you know, anyone, any well, anyone who's lost their father would would have an idea of what Dimalenko is going through, and anyone whose father is still with them will be thinking about how they would feel when their father passed away, and how they wouldn't want someone talking about their father like that. So it's something that you know virtually everyone could relate to, and um, and then that that unmasking when Jericho uh, Malenko unmasks as Cyclope and the, the crowd just, you know, the roof comes off. I thought, you know, that was the, to me, that was the, the greatest cruiserweight feud of the WCW era. And it's, it's just one of my personal favorites. Yeah. Uh, it is a really good one. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna have, I, 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 I want to hear your last suggestion. Yeah. And I've I'm going to throw feeling. a couple of things at you as well. Okay. But I'm, I... I'm already I'm already expressing doubt over my there's a certain thing that doesn't make my picks as strong as yours plus it could lead to a, a sting clean sweep <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> where he would be four feuds okay um my my last one which was my number three on the list and I've I don't know I've got a gut feeling that this would be on your list as well um but I put down Diamond Dallas Page v Randy Savage and the the reason I put that down was apart from the fact it was a really good feud and it went on for quite some time, it was one of the one of the few occasions, yeah, we've talked about creative control and the problems that that caused. It's one of the few occasions where one of the the established main event old guard, which yeah, you could put Randy Savage in, has put over a and I use this term in inverted commas a new wrestler because I know he was you know he was considerably older than most of the the newer generation of wrestlers but given the amount of time DDP had been wrestling for he was a you know he was a, a new guy he wasn't considered in the main event picture at that point in time and then that feud with with Savage really launched him into the next level. Yeah, that the so-called glass ceiling was well and truly shattered by DDP winning that feud against Savage. And I think, you know, if there hadn't been that feud, then then we wouldn't have had 
all the all the great stuff we had with DDP in the main event picture. Yeah, so I feel like I can probably debunk my two suggestions straight away because I feel like wherever we we settle on these these two probably aren't going to make the cut. Uh, basically, Sting versus Dangerous Alliance and Sting versus NWO, which would make it a very Sting versus the world list. But also, if you think about it, I feel like Sting's run-ins with the Dangerous Alliance are probably going to get uh, a couple of picks on this list. Uh, and it has reminded yeah. me of something that does need to go on this list. Some of these will go through very quickly at the end. But um, so I I feel like it will get its flowers somewhere else. Okay. Sting NWO, there could be something that ends up I, getting that. But I think I think if you I, I wouldn't say Sting the NWO, but I think if you labeled that as WCW versus NWO, I think actually that is a really good shout. Because yeah, we've we've talked about that that episode, that Disney episode of Nitro, the Rey Mysterio lawn dart thing, where they essentially sabotaged their own show to further a storyline, which, in in the short term, was crazy because we're we're watching this kind of awful disjointed episode of Nitro, but in the long run, it it made it made that feud really feel real, you know, and, and Heenan walking out of the commentary because he didn't feel safe. Um, I think because there's such a changing cast of characters, I would I would definitely think WCW versus NWO and you know the business that that feud did would be something on that Mount Rushmore definitely. Maybe, but then even then, like as a feud, it should have been so much better. And WCW were really given the shaft a bit by this harebrained idea at the time that Bischoff was actually going to turn the NWO into its own promotional brand or even change yeah. the name of the companies. So I, I, I struggle with that as a result. And I think, yeah, may, maybe there'll be something else on this list. And the, the, the more, the more I think about this list in front of me and the more I'm enjoying this, I wonder if we've got a Mount Rushmore's part two episode in us to be because <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Maybe we do set one at first six and, and put a few in the bag for another episode that doesn't require screen time for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm doubting my own initial pick there because as, as a, as a feud, there should have been more to it. There, there's certain ways, and we already have with the outsiders tag teams. I think there's cert, certain categories that the NWO and, and and the whole thing, like if we were to do like a a Mount Rushmore of Nitro episodes, that'd probably be one. If we do a Mount Rushmore of Angles, the NWO is going to take one or two. There's cert, there's certain things about it, but the more, especially when you, I didn't even think about Jericho Malenko. It flies under the radar, but but as a as a cruiserweight feud, it was, uh, and as a feud, it was iconic. Um, yeah. Have I completely lost my mind, or did you give your last? What what was your last yeah, one? My, so my my four was Sting v Vader, Rude v Steamboat, DDP v Savage, and Jericho. DD, DDP Savage. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be. I really thought that'd be on your list because I know you know, you're a big uh, admirer of DDP's work. Yeah, well, no complaints. It was, it, it was a good feud. Um, wow, it's an interesting one. I feel like this could, this could be the one where we need to get the listeners involved. Because I, I don't feel in a position to make... I, I, that could make one hell of a vote. 
But I do definitely feel like the Sting pair on our first ballot, so no-brainers. Yeah, no, I can't argue with that. Sting v Vader, Sting v Flair, and then two more. Okay, so yeah, if we if we just wrap up the ones that I discussed with you earlier, and you've had a little bit of a think about, in fairness. Yeah. I've also, and I can't believe this uh, this escaped me before, but we might as well have a little chat about this seventh one on this episode and do the others, and then we'll call it there, I suppose. But I'll, I'll do this one I've just added now, because it makes sense. Uh, because one of them was match type, and we'll get that in a sec. But as, yeah. as I just said with the Sting versus Dangerous Lines, we've got to have the Mount Rushmore of WCW matches. And I'm going to throw out what is unanimously agreed as the greatest WCW match of all time as our no-brainer first ballot, which is War Games 1992. Absolutely. I, I feel like that that goes on. There's no, there's absolutely no fussing about that. Uh, so that's one out of four done. And, and that will help given that you've had no time to prepare for this one. So hopefully we can have a bit of a... But, but again, like if we find ourselves stuck like the feud one, this is where we get our listeners, our, all seven of them, to bail us out. <laughs> but yeah, War, War Games 92, as you say, is, it is just so good. Um, and I think still holds up to this day. Oh, absolutely! It's 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 on the list. The, the 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 this this list is basically made for this match and three guests. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just thinking another match that that springs to my mind, not so much for the match quality, but just for the emotion and the the emotional investment of the crowd because at the end of the day that is what wrestling is all about as, as jake the snake robert said it's about emotions not motions mm. um, and one thing that popped into my head is flair v vader from starcade 93 which oh, is the yeah. the hastily cobbled together main event after <laughs> sid got sent or got sacked and sent home um and i I can only imagine what Sid V Vader would have been would have been like, it, um, but not as good as Flair V Vader, I think. No, I think you're right. And after giving it a little bit of thought, not only is that a good shout, but another obvious one. Uh, some, but some people might. I, I suppose I can understand why some people might think this might be considered an even better match than War Games '92. Not for me, but it's. It's obviously got to be on this list, I think, when I remind you of Halloween Havoc 97 and Guerrero Mysterio title versus oh, Mask. Oh, yes. yes. I don't know if I'd put it above War Games 92, but it's on this list. Definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah. No, that's got to go on. That is such a, an amazing match and a groundbreaking match. Yeah, I would agree with you on Flair versus Vader. It's it's like it's not the be all and end all if it happens to main event Starcade, obviously, but the fact that a big seminal match happens in the main event Starcade, and as you said, in the wake of such chaos backstage, that there there are big points to come from that. I can yeah. throw some ideas. I want to get your opinion before I suggest any of these as the as the fourth match. But it's okay. worth getting these on your radar. And we'll, we'll hash these out. Uh, a, a, a consideration for the fourth one could be Steiners versus Luger and Sting at the first Super Brawl. Yes. Uh, yep. Sting versus Cactus Jack at Beach Blast, the Falls Count Anywhere Chaos. Yeah. 
You've got Pillman and Liger opening up Super Bowl 2. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that is a very important match for the, the history of Western, of American wrestling. But then I think that then gets overtaken by Guerrero and Mysterio. Um, and True. whether you'd want Fair. them both in there, I don't know. But that's definitely a, yeah, a history maker there. And the last one I'll suggest, it's amazing how many of these are coming from 92, but the Iron Man challenge between Steamboat, Steamboat and Rude. Yeah. Which was subject to, in my humble opinion, one of the better <laughs> segments we've had on this podcast. With Greg Lambert, Where we've yes. been able to just, oh, well, you and I very staunchly defended that match to someone who wasn't vibing it. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? You make a fair argument. Yeah. Um, I've got one other match that popped into my head from, and, and again, I'm really sorry because this is my uh, own biases coming through, but um, Super Bowl three, Sting v Vader, White Castle of Fear Strap match. That's definitely, it's got to be on Brutal. the, it's got to be on the short list. In Brutal, fact, I, I yeah. might even write down all of these possibles. So we've got, plus we've also got another match that we talked about was Nasty Boys against Cactus Jack and Max Payne. Yep. Uh, or, or Cactus Jack and Sullivan. In, um, which one of them? I think the Sullivan one was Philadelphia, wasn't it? I can't remember now. One of them was Philly, one wasn't. Yeah, the the title change one was the Philly one, wasn't it? Because uh, the Broad Street bully got involved, didn't he? Yeah. And that was Jack and Sullivan who won the titles. Payne didn't win the titles, but you're right. So I'm going to try and make a quick note of all these. Because this is another one I'd love to get. Uh, the listeners in on it'll be worth. Yeah, this this on. one this one is is wide open. Um, and and I think as well, what I've got to say as well is like the these ones from the early nineties stick in my head more simply because at this point in time I was, um, I was like well, what I've been like sixteen, seventeen years old. I didn't have a lot, an awful lot to worry about or any or distract me. So, so these things stick in my mind a lot more. Whereas then when we go into like ninety nine, uh, ninety eight, ninety nine, I'm I'm in my early twenties. I'm at university. I'm busy with lots of other things, and it kind of all then starts to blend into one a little bit more. So I think that's why my own memories of the early 90s era are, are much stronger. That's fair enough, though. But at the end of the day, um, a, a lot of these categories are not going to see anything come up from the last few years, unfortunately. And, yeah. and it's interesting how the mid-90s it depends on the category and your criteria for that category, whether it's going to add a lot because of things like the NWO being hot or actually not a lot at all because lots of non-finishes, frustration at how it fin- at how it panned out. Uh, it depends what way you go with certain ones. Yes, yeah. because I think, I think yeah. you've then got to, if, if you're talking, if you're talking historical significance, you've got to throw in the main event of Bash at the Beach 96, even though it didn't have a finish, just because of what that set the touch, yeah, that, that lit the, the touch paper for, for the the whole NWO feud in that era. But obviously, the match wasn't anything. Flair v Vader, the match wasn't anything too special if if you took if you took that match out of charlotte north carolina and put it somewhere else and took away the the retirement promise from flair back when that actually carried any value yeah 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, then you know, then you it's but it's you know, wrestling is all about the the moment and how people feel, and then. I suppose I think we're. I think Flair v Funk at Clash Nine is probably a bit too early, isn't it? That's more. That's NWA era still. Yeah, we 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 the the lot we we did agree. The line is somewhere in 1990. Could yeah. maybe say Sting's crowning moment. Yeah, yeah, no, because we did cover that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but again, it's 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 a bit of a murky line because there was never any. Wasn't like on on July the twentieth they said right we're WCW. Now. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. it's one of those things. But yeah, we will pose that one to listeners because I feel like Ray Eddie and War Games '92 aren't budging. I I don't Definitely. think you can do a, a Mount Rushmore of WCW matches without those two. I think Flair Vader's got a very strong case, but. It could be argued that you push up two of those ones we've already listed on this podcast, maybe one or two that we've not even thought about. So that that will be where why the conversation would be really fun. Yeah. So conscious of time, match types was one I put to you earlier, Dean. Yes. So I'll get this started. I feel like I don't think there's going to be any lack of harmony here, given that we just discussed one particular strain of it. WCW match types. War games. Definitely. Yeah. Number one, no shadow of a doubt. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that, and I know, I know it was an NWA era invention. I realize that it was dusty that, that put it together and stuff, but um, the fact that it, it was then, it then went into WCW and headlined multiple pay-per-views and the WWE now in 2022 are going to be headlining their Survivor Series with it. Oh yes, says it all to me. That's it. That's the that's the the longevity of a match type. You know, um, it's it, you know the you, you look at things like the ladder match and how that's now evolved into like you had the multiple person cruiserweight ladder matches in WCW and Money in the Bank in WWE. But War Games is War Games. It's you know they've okay they've tweaked a few bits in the WWE, but by and large it's the same thing still. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I, why don't you reel off your other three? I've, I've got a few things of mine, but if you've got them, I'll just end up concurring. Okay. So reel them off. Um, this, I'll tell you something. Apart from War Games, which is like right at the top of that list, this was kind of tricky because for a lot of things, unfortunately, with WCW, you think of certain match types and they're usually pretty awful. You know, the King of the Road match, um, the Thunder, the um, the Triple Cage from Uncensored. They were bloody awful. You wouldn't want them. So um, I've put in, uh, in no particular order, but I put in um, the Lethal Lottery because... The first one that they did in Starcade 91, it was, yes, it was too long and they had too many people in it, but it was a really fun concept. And things like Buddy Lee Parker getting beaten up by Abdullah the Butcher because he wanted to be Cactus Jack's tag team <laughs> partner. I love that. And Larry Zabisco arguing with Eligante. And I think this is where we had Steve Austin and Rick Rude teaming up. And that was kind of the birth of the Dangerous Alliance. And yeah, you'd get some some random tag teams put together that actually looked really good and then became tag teams for a short period of time. Or you'd get 
feuding people having to get on with each other. The problem was that, yeah, they did it a few more times and it went from being, uh, it went from having a, a couple of instances of tag teams against each other or feuding people tagging with each other to virtually every match ended up like that. And it just became so contrived it wasn't enjoyable anymore but i think you know that original concept for for wcw was was good but it was uh, it's not a strong pick another one that again isn't a strong pick and it did start in the nwa era but i think it's got a bit of historical significance is the thunder cage because it wasn't just a regular cage it's basically the precursor to the hell in the cell that WWE use in that it was a cage that covered not just the ring, but the ringside area. And that was the first time a cage like that had ever been seen. But then also it had um, the edges sloped inwards to make it virtually impossible to climb out of. So it wasn't an escape the cage. It was, you know, so it was, that was pretty brutal and people were locked in. Um, and the other thing, the other match I put in is this is a bit, it's it's not like a, a stipulation, but it's, I suppose, a style of match. I, I put down basically cruiserweights because the cruiserweights had their own style of match. It was their own type of match compared to the heavyweights. It's basically... Yeah, what what New Japan had done with their their cruiserweight or um, their junior heavyweight divisions, they call it, where you had wrestlers separate to that division wrestling their own division in their own style, and it was very separate to the heavyweights, and it gave you another another type of match. It's like the old um, Brian Dixon, the old all-star British um, promoter, who likens a wrestling show to a buffet where you know if you don't like the Volavants, then you'll like the sandwiches, or if you don't like the sandwiches, you'll like the trifle, or whatever it is. You know, there's something for everyone. And in having that style of cruiserweight match, which I think they did, you know, they did really well. They had the luchadors coming in. Yes, they didn't give them the requisite time, and they didn't push, they didn't push the significance of the cruiserweights up the card too much, even when you had Jericho v Milenko. But so that's a kind of a tenuous fourth match type. But I have to say, by this point, I was kind of scratching my head because so many of the match types were pretty awful. Like, you know, you're something on a pole match and, and all that kind of thing. So if I, they may very, I'm hoping that there's some match type I've forgotten that you're going to remind me of that was awesome. Yeah, I think there is. I think Good. I can easily slot that in. Uh, with something that was mentioned for as, as one of the candidates for match, which is the Iron Man challenge, because yeah, when was the first Iron Man match? WWE '96 WrestleMania 12, WCW 30 minute Iron Man. Not only was 30 minutes a bit better, because you'd have some marquee matches that ran like 15, 18, 20, maybe a little bit more, but to guarantee 30 minutes was still a big deal without it being excess. Yeah, and Rude versus Steamboat was awesome. Rude versus Rhodes was actually pretty damn good. Oh and, yes, of and course. they could and should have done more of that in there. If they had that sort of pride in their own stipulations, they could have regularly run war because they, they ran war games into the ground. Like they, they, that's number one with a bullet. And WCW ruined war games before <laughs> they went out of business. You forget about that. So I'm not going to hold that against the match type, and that's why Lethal Lottery absolutely should be on there because it's a 
it's a concept that has a legacy since then. Countless independent promotions have run a lethal lottery. Call yeah. it that. Uh, I mean, it, it's something that's done in um, Mexico. They call it um, Parejas Increíble, Incredible Pairings. So no, that's, that's, uh, that is deliberately putting. And this is... Uh, Sorry, I, yes, you're right. That yeah. isn't a random draw. That is where they deliberately put in two people that Purposely, don't like each other. Yes, regular, I stand corrected. Regular guests from back in the day, Mike Quackenbush on the show. He's retired from wrestling now, but um, he would happily clarify these because when he ran Shikara back before that went into the ground um, this well both of these things because he ran La, La Loteria Lital <laughs> because there was a heavy luchador influence you know the tag team titles were called the Campeones de Parejas um, oh. so it, there was a lot of that influence there and with the Incredibles, they use that as well. And they use the Cibernetico, which is, I just absolutely love a Tornado Cibernetico, which for those who don't know, you have teams of eight versus eight. Uh, and it's like a Survivor Series match, eight versus eight Survivor Series match, two extra things. People have to tag in in a batting order. So before the match starts, they agree who is one, two, three, four, five. And you have to tag in that order or you're disqualified. Oh. So you can't just pick who you want to tag in next. You go, you go in that rigid order, and then obviously if five gets eliminated, you go four to six, and yeah. so on. And the other thing is, is if you have a situation where multiple people on the team survive, uh, there's only one winner of a Tornado Cibernetico. So if if team one wins the match and they eliminate all of team two with uh with three people left you've now got a three-way elimination bout until one person's left uh and i've always loved that and there were some absolutely cracking cibernetics in shikara mexican wrestling of course use it and all that uh lethal lottery getting back on topic yeah absolutely Although one quick side, where we're saying about um, Cibernetico's and Increíbles, they actually did one which was both. So you had eight tag teams split across two teams of eight. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, stuff I always like. And Lethal Lottery. Lethal Lottery gets tied to Battle Bowl. Uh, and obviously Battle Bowl had its own pay-per-view at least once. Yeah. Lethal Lottery was the, the format, like, much like Survivor Series matches, once upon a time got their own pay-per-view based on that match type. Name survives, but the match type we're hoping comes back, but you don't see it a lot anymore. Yeah. Um, Lethal Lottery was the, the bedrock of the Battle Bowl pay-per-view because yeah. the Battle Bowl part is just the Battle Royal that battle, sometimes yeah. happens in two rings, sometimes happens in one, but Lethal Lottery, you're spot on. Thunder Cage, yeah. I'd agree. It's, it, that was something that was very WCW and yeah. I think it should be on. Because you see, another thing that, that, you, that is available to choose from, but I just didn't like them all that much was the World War Three three ring battle royal. Yeah, no, they sucked. They were too busy. You had sixty people, some of whom you'd never bloody seen before, and it was just impossible to see what was going on. You could make, and, yeah, you could make the yeah. argument that you remember them as being a, a fundamental part of WCW. So it's got that criteria, but then so does the Chamber of Horrors and the Junkyard Battle Royal. <laughs> Which yeah. would win the Mount Rushmore for the worst match in worst history. Match. Didn't we actually do it on the episode? We actually figured out the objective calculations. Not just in my opinion. We looked at like how little of the match we could actually watch. How many people got injured. How how little the end result of the match 
mattered. Yeah, and how we little ab- the crowd cared. And we well, how, how, and how little the crowd had the chance to care even. Uh, and it was objectively, it's probably the worst. I mean, I don't care how many times Evad Sullivan goes out there and has a stinker. The Junkyard Battle Royal crippled half a dozen people or more yeah, yeah. for a match that no one could even watch. Yep. So, yeah. But I would say Iron Man Challenge. I would say Thunder Cage, definitely agree with you. Lethal Lottery War, that's a good four. Yeah, uh, it's a sort of four that if WCW wasn't the sort of promotion that prompts 20 years later two bozos from Britain to make a podcast <laughs> called Because WCW, because of their harebrained decisions, any decent promotion would make all four of these match types something special. And the legacy of three of the... No, <coughs> given what you said, I know the Thundercard, the Thunder Cage doesn't technically exist, but given the legacy of four of them, if we apply your Hell in a Cell link, which is fair, the legacy of all four of them is great. Like Triple H can't wait to get, he yeah. got War Games back, and he can't wait to get back as a as a thing, a, a big thing, on the biggest stage of WWE, right front and centre. Lethal Laurie, we've just discussed how many places use that concept. Uh, Thunder Cage to Hell in a Cell, fair point. Memphis Cage as well, maybe, but still, yeah, this is still a big thing for a major promotion. And the Iron, the Iron Man matches everywhere, and yeah. I'm not saying WCW had the first ever Iron Man match. But mainstream wise, they they were they were pretty out there. So I'd I, I, I'd say that's the four. Cool. Okay. Um. Should we? I know we had music next, but should we leave music to last? And because I think the next one move will probably be a quick quicker one. And then we can finish on a bit of fun with music because that's going to be so wide open. I think. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what have you got for move, Garnin? Okay. So I'm thinking like, iconic moves that that you just associate with people who are. Are iconic in WCW. Um, first one because it was the first place that it appeared in. Um, I've got the Frankensteiner. Oh, good. And um, with that, with Steiner in the name as well, just reminds yeah. you of one of the biggest commodities there, the Steiners. Yeah, because even even after um, people saw Rey Mysterio doing it, and it became known as the Hurricane Rana for quite a while and not just in WCW commentators were still calling it a Frankensteiner I remember when Scott was on commentary himself at one point and said Dad, I think he said to tonight that's not a hurricane rider that's a Frankensteiner and probably just a bunch of bleeping I'm presuming <laughs> yeah um, and you know at the time that Scott Steiner unveiled that it was this amazing move that none of no you know, American Western fans had seen before and it just seemed amazing and he was winning every single match with it no one ever kicked out of it so that was that was my first thought mm-hmm. second thought um was the diamond cutter yeah for me that's a no we, we've labeled some of these as no-brainers but yeah given that this this move being bestowed upon ddp pretty much we, we, we've been covering it on the watch-alongs several pay-per-views the diamond cutter made a star yeah, and its legacy and its legacy is one of the most overused moves on any circuit. Yeah, says that. I want to throw one out there quick. You might already have it. It's a gen- it's a relatively generic move, but there's a reason to have it. I think we have the power bomb here. I hadn't got that, but that's a really good shout because, because you've got you've got Sid, you've got Vader, you've got Kevin Nash. A tag team called the Masters of the Power Bomb. 
who, if not for a pair of scissors in Blackburn, would have um, <laughs> would have had that feud and Starcade '93 match that is now on our shortlist for Mount Rushmore of those two matches. It would have been the battle of the masters of the powerbomb. Yeah. Uh, then you've got Starcade '98, five years later, and the infamous. You know, the power bomb that shocked everyone when they actually ended the fucking streak like morons. Uh, not to say I've got a horse in that particular race, but you're morons. Um, yeah, I th- there's a lot, even though it's, I mean, you could say the same about the diamond cutter, even, even though there's a clear link to the roots of it. Even then, it's, it's still an ace crusher somewhere else. So yeah. you could make the same argument that the power bomb is still, even if it's a very common move, there's a, there's a big link there. What were your two, by the way? Um, the other, my my third one, um, again, just because of how it's iconic to someone in WCW and it was used for so many years and it was sold by so many people as a big move when it really wasn't, is very simply the Stinger Splash. It's just to me the 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 fact that a running splash into the corner and admittedly I think he did it differently and with more panache and vigor than anybody else as the way he'd sort of splay his arms and legs out and fly into you. But at the end of the day, it's a splash in the corner, which unless you're like a 450 pound monster, generally speaking, wasn't used and wasn't a big move. But you know, from if if we're if we're talking about the WCW era being um, being the from from Great American Bash 1990 through to the end of WCW, then the Stinger Splash featured at the very first show and the very last show and several points in between. Yeah, not only is the, is he the first ballot no-brainer on the wrestler Mount Rushmore, but basically everything Sting touches has a, <laughs> Yeah. But it's that that will happen though. When you yeah. do subcategory like rank lists and things like this, obviously the 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 guy who is right there at the top of the main one is going to have a knock-on effect for the rest. That yeah. makes a world of sense. What was the yeah. last one? Because we're going to have to uh, cut sync. Yeah, admittedly with with that, I was thinking of you know, the Scorpion Death Lock, but then I thought, well, he stopped using that for a bit and was using the Scorpion death drop but he always used the stinger splash the the fourth one which i think is probably a weaker choice but it's a bit left field but it's what a move that i just absolutely loved and you never really saw it once wcw finished was um shane helms vertebraker loved that move yeah great great move it's one of them things where it probably falls in the significance category. Yeah. The arguments for the other four. And I, I love to find an excuse to, to put shine more of a light on it. But I feel like for this one, for a Mount Rushmore, we might have our four. Frankensteiner, so. Diamond Cutter, Stinger, Swash, Powerbomb. The arguments for all of those make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think I hadn't thought of the power bomb, but what you say, mate, yeah, makes so much sense because you've, because it's it's a move that so different people used at different times, all with equally good effects, basically. Yeah, yeah, big significance in several phases of of the yes. big decade. Yes. Uh, okay. okay. Okay, so the last category is is going to be the most subjective. <laughs> music, hit me with your four. Uh, I've got. I've not written anything down, so I'd, I, I guess when put on the spot, I'd have to say, prime time Elix Skipper, prime time Elix Skipper, prime time Elix Skipper, and prime time Elix Skipper. I can't do that. Can I? That's a shame. Um, I, I love. It's a catchy bollocks theme, but 
obviously not. But again, like the vertebrae, it just can't. Uh, off the top of my head, Sting and Goldberg's most well-known one. For me, that's Sting Crow and Goldberg's March theme. Uh, for me, I can't not have them on. That, that that's me. But, but but this is why we discuss this because someone else will go, all name four others, and I'll be like, well, actually, like my my argument doesn't hold much water here. So I can't. I, I'd have to think about three and four, but I would throw those two forward for sure. I didn't have Sting actually because I thought out of everything, all the things that he'd done, I thought the music one. Well, no, I never liked the old guitar one, and the, the Crow's okay, but I hadn't actually put his music in there. But Goldberg, yes, I think as much as Goldberg didn't do enough to to get into like the the wrestler Mount Rushmore. I think you know the the whole point of of entrance music, and and it's something I'm such a big believer in. But entrance music just sets the scene and entrance music should be within literally the first second the crowd know who it is and react and you know the case in point being iconic the, the iconic case in point over on the other the other sides it were was the breaking glass you knew that stone cold steve austin was coming out and and so i think yeah with with goldberg yeah you'd hear the the the, the theme building as he came out of the entrance of the dressing room and the crowd started chanting goldberg so yeah absolutely i think that's one yeah. um another one for me and again this is going i'm going back to the same well again but vader that music that vader had and and again I'm probably talking about the memories of seeing of hear, seeing it and hearing it live several occasions, but that music just sat with that man and that image so well. Um, I just thought that really set the scene for for you know a big intimidating bloke coming out. Um, my third choice as a personal favourite is um, is Arn Anderson, um, the sort of the Nitro era twangy guitar cowboy kind of theme you know the one i mean yeah uh, i think the horsemen used it as well um at times but i know the one the the one you're talking about that gets linked more to arn because he used it as a solo as well yeah and then yeah. obviously they the horsemen used it but then they all they, they ended up moving to a a theme i liked but it had the more elaborate horse galloping and yeah and start uh but yeah that twang was really good um Incidentally, we should also say that, of course, Goldberg music was also used by Pat Tanaka, who we all really associate it with. Oh, don't don't ruin the illusion. But um, D- DDP and Harlem Heat, New World Order, memorable ones. It's yeah, a bit tough Har- one, wasn't it? Yeah, Harlem Heat, because I was thinking, you know, Harlem Heat, that was the, then Booker T used that. And then he went to the WWF and still used the same music. Um, but my fourth choice, because again, it's a personal favorite, was and it has been used by other people, but the one, the people I associate it with, Hollywood Blondes. Yeah, and it had a bit of a legacy with a few others. I think this, yeah. this is going to end up being one of them ones where we don't have a four. At the end of this episode, at least, yeah. there's a few to write down here. Uh, yeah. So I've and, got. We might if I hang on. Um, here's the short list. Then least. you've also got Ric Flair, haven't you? I mean, that's iconic music. Yeah, there's. I mean, he used it throughout WCW. So maybe you could say that the NWA argument doesn't apply here because he might have carried it in, but it yeah. was it was ever present. So yeah. But, so but the yeah the NWA music I think is you know that's. Uh, that's just 
you know, reminds you of uh, of a whole era and not just one one person. It was this whole faction, you know. So you'd hear that music several times a show. Yeah, you. I mean, this was his NWA and WCW music, rather than it being something that was NWA instead of WCW, yeah. wasn't it? Um, I've written down Goldberg, Harlem Heat, Vader, Hollywood Blondes, NWO, DDP, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair. Anything yeah. we've just mentioned that I haven't written down because I'm going to take this one to. I, I'm not going to make a decision on this, and I don't think we can. No. We're gonna we're we're gonna crowdsource this last one. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. see what people say. Given yeah. that we had a world, remember in 2018 we had a World Cup of entrance themes. Do you remember we did that on Twitter? And given that we got a World Cup, yes. too, maybe maybe there's one of these topics that we can do a World Cup of. I and think do yeah. another voting thing. Definitely. I mean, this out of everything, as I said earlier, I think yeah, the music is the most subjective one of them all, and I think we're going to have a lot of varied, varied um, suggestions. So I look forward to hearing what people are going to say on that. Yeah, we've thrown some out there, but we're we're just far too big a pair of cowards to actually go down to four. <laughs> so have your say, and please get involved with the others as well. I'm gonna, I'm hopefully gonna be doing a few tweets about this once we've got an episode live and published. I'll keep sharing the link, but I'll I'll write down like here's our here's our. Uh, Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. Here's our Mount Rushmore feuds. What do you say? I love to hear what you guys. I know it's the same for you, Dean. Let's let's see what people have to say because yeah. we have we have missed talking WCW with each other and with you guys. And let's get that back going again. We'll we'll do whatever episodes we can, however we can. But it's just good to be back chatting shit about a really frustrating promotion. <laughs> Indeed, yes. It'll be great to hear from people. Uh, and as I said, so we've been away for seven months, but um, hopefully things will be getting back to normal um, relatively quickly. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to Because WCW. You can follow us on uh, Facebook, uh, search Because WCW, and Twitter at Because WCW dot com at Because WCW, um, and you can listen to all 110 other episodes of this um, by going to Because WCW dot Podbean dot com. That's w- Because WCW dot Podbean dot com, and they're all in there, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I don't know. You'll find us. I don't I don't pry into your private lives. You get your podcast from wherever you want to get your podcast from. Yeah, who do you think we are? Mark Zuckerberg. Exactly. Right. We will we will leave it there. It's been a fantastic uh, way to come back. Thank you, Liam. It's been uh, it's been good fun and hopefully we'll uh, we'll have a, a, a bit more of a discussion uh, online with some of our listeners. Not only that, but we've we've probably got a uh, Mount Rushmore's part two episode here because I wrote down I ambushed you with a bunch of extra categories. Note: I told Dean I was going to write more, um, and it'd be silly if we didn't come back for those. But how does how does a pay per view sound soon? Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll give you the uh, give you carte blanche, free choice, whatever you want. Oh, I I tell you what, if you're giving me carte blanche, listen, right before before you cried off for seven months, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you got the privilege of being able to talk a a, a guest into picking your all-time favorite WWE pay-per-view, Super Bowl three. 
Yep. Can't blame them. Good taste. Great show. Glad we did it. But there's another show. Because everyone seems to pick the early 90s over the late 90s, and understandably so, but for me, one of my favourite ever WCW pay-per-views did happen. Probably the last great pay-per-view WCW did. When things were, when the wheels were falling off, they did give us this pay-per-view. Still one of my favourites. I can't believe it's taken us over five years since we first launched to get to this point. But Dean, it's yep. time Let's do Spring Stampede 1999. Sounds good to me. Spring Stampede 99. What's, what's the main event of that one? Just to remind people. For... It's it's a four-way title match between Hogan, uh, Sting, Flair, and DDP. Oh. It goes a bit tits up, but the, 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 well, we'll we'll go we'll get more into detail. But to be honest, it's still it's it's a banger of a show. And like you said about shows being buffets. This one's a buffet. Excellent. Great stuff. Right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time and trouble to uh, download and listen to us. We really do appreciate it. Sorry we've been away for seven months. We won't leave it that long That long next time. Well. Uh, uh, <laughs> on, uh, on behalf of, uh, of Liam, who has been very kind in not mentioning the real reason that I was in prison. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really, honestly. Um, I've got the doctor's letters to prove it. Um, we, we will hang on. Why do you, yeah. why do you spell doctor like I would spell warden? That's his name, Doctor Warden. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we will see you very shortly for another episode of Because WW. Thanks for listening, folks. On behalf of Liam, this is the Twisted Genius saying, "I'll see you ringside."